Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. This will be the last sermon off our task. Next Sunday we'll return to John chapter 18, verse 1 is where we are in John. So this one uh, today and then next week we'll be back to John. All right, I don't know why I did not do a State of the Church address last year. Uh, I don't remember, uh, but we will do one today. Uh, all right, <clears throat> so if you'll find your place there in Revelation 2 and 3, just keep your place there. I'll be referring to verses in those two chapters throughout the message. Uh, I'm not going to read both chapters to you this morning, but if you have your place there, you can quickly find where I'm reading when I get there. Um, <clears throat> I would like to present the state of the church address this morning in the spirit or in the outline of Revelation 2 and 3. So the context of these seven churches and the way they're primarily laid out is you get a picture of Christ. It's a great place to start. This is a picture of Christ. And then he gives them a praise for good works they have done. And then he shows them there's a priority of repentance. There's some things he has against them. And then there's a purpose to the warnings that he gives them. And then he says there's a privilege uh, for the, what we hear. Uh, blessed are those who hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he gives a promise of reward. So that's a basic outline of those seven churches and the way they're addressed. And so in the spirit of that, uh, I would like to do the same. Um, So just as a reminder, this is, in my opinion, not an expositional sermon where you deal with words and phrases and verse by verse, but more of a large view picture of these seven churches to kind of speak to us uh, of where we are. And so I know a lot of people are out today for whatever reasons, but you're here, and uh, supposedly I believe that God wants you to hear the state of the church address, and I, I need to hear it as well. So in the spirit of the Apostle Paul uh, to the church at Ephesus, he said this to the elders of the churches. This is what Paul said to the elders. He said, pay careful attention, pay careful attention, well, to yourself and to the flock that you have to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. And then it says, to care for the church of God. So I'm stopping in the middle of the verse, but as an elder of this church, uh, over this flock, um, by the Holy Spirit, I want to offer things that show that I care for the church. Why? Because Christ obtained the church with his own blood. And so if he's willing to pay such a price, she must be of infinite value. And so in that line, that's the presentation I have for you. And I, you know, I know words are cheap. I I get that. People say all manner of things. Um, But I do care. Uh, I don't know sometimes what people think, but I do care about this church. Um, I don't know that it needs proving, uh, but some 23 years here, at least ought to tell you something. Um, and do I want things to be better? Yeah, that's me. I'm never satisfied with where we're at. I'm never satisfied with where I'm at. Uh, so I think we're, there's always a pressing. When, when is this going to end? Well, it's not going to end until Christ comes. That's when we're going to get to where we're supposed to be. But until we get there as your pastor... I want to keep urging you on. Do I irritate you? you? You know I do at times. Am I a little bit overbearing at times? Yes, you know I am. Uh, I'm a little bit too radical on some things. I press too hard on some things. I'm aware of that. But at least know that the reason behind it is, is because I want what's best for you. I may not always express it as good as it could be, but it is the heart's desire that I want you to succeed. I want you to be blessed, and I don't want you to rob yourself of all that God has for you. And so, I'm not justifying certain things, but I am at least explaining a bit as to why I come across sometimes the way that I do. 
All right, enough of that. Uh, now, this is not an exposition, so if you want a whole bunch of details here, you're not getting them, but I have to give you the beginning. The perfections of Christ, seven churches, and this is how Christ is described. So I'm doing this. I want us to be reminded we have the same Christ. It's the same description. This is who we love. This is who we worship. In chapter 2, verse 1, Christ sustains the pastors of local churches. The only reason I'm still here is because of Christ. If he doesn't sustain, I'd never make it the first year. Any other pastor, the same is true. Chapter 2, verse 1, Christ dwells in the midst of the church. I believe that when we meet here and gather for worship, we believe Christ is in our midst. We sing to Him. We worship Him. We pray to Him. We give to Him. We hear from Him. We honor Him because He is the head. It's the very central fabric of all the church. If it's a wagon wheel, He's the hub. All the spokes connect to Him. If you don't have Christ, you don't have a church. Chapter 2, verse 8, Christ is the first, Christ is the last. It begins with Him, it ends with Him, and the entire middle is sustained by Him. Chapter 2, verse 8, Christ is the one who died and the one who came to life. A bodily death on Calvary saw the glorious bodily resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. Chapter 2, verse 12, Christ is the one with the two-edged sword, pierces to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. He's sharp on both sides. The word of his power, it penetrates into the deepest, darkest recesses of our very being. Christ is the two-edged sword. He has that. Chapter 2, verse 18, Christ has eyes like a flame of fire. If you need an illustration for that, just the only one that comes to my mind is remember that dreadful day in which the overzealous Peter said, I will never deny you, I'll never deny you, if all of these I will never, and then he denied him. And Christ turned and looked, and when he saw the eyes of Christ, his heart was ravished. He just broke down and wept. Why? Because their eyes like a fire, they penetrate all the way to the deepest resources of our heart. Christ and his eyes. And then you have in 2.18, feet like burnished bronze, solid, resolved, steadfast, tough, immovable, never wavering. Cultures swing. Cultures go this way. Cultures go that way. But the one who has feet like bronze stands solid. The whole world goes one way. Christ stands where truth is. Christ has the seven spirits of God. Chapter 3, verse 1. Seven spirits of God I take as a reference for the perfect Holy Spirit. Christ has the perfect Holy Spirit. When he ascends to heaven, he gives the Holy Spirit to be a comfort and a counselor and a guide. While he's in heaven, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us here on earth. Every person in the church that's Christian is a Spirit-filled believer. Chapter 3, verse 1, Christ has the pastors of his churches. Christ owns your pastor Christ directs your pastor, Christ disciplines your pastor, Christ rebukes your pastor, Christ has that right because he owns me. Chapter 3, verse 7, Christ is the Holy One, Christ is the True One. All holiness, all truth is found in him. Chapter 3, verse 7, he has the keys of David. What he opens, nobody shuts. What he shuts, nobody opens. Christ controls every door, contrary to the Arminian theology of the world that says I have to open up my heart and let Jesus in. Christ will come in whenever he wants to come in. He created the door, he has the key to the door, and he can do whatever he wants with the door. Chapter 3, verse 14, Christ is the amen. Chapter 3, 14 again, Christ is the faithful and true witness. Chapter 3, verse 14, Christ is the beginning of God's creation. He's also the middle. He's also the end. He's the one that holds all of creation together by the word of his power. This is the Christ 
that by the Word, Baptist Church is supposed to focus their attention on. We're not a perfect church. There's many sins. There's many faults. There's many failures. We have to do church discipline on many occasions because we're an imperfect people and we sin. There's unconverted people here. There's converted people here. But whatever the makeup of it is, we must know this as an absolute. The church is here for Christ. Well, the church didn't do nothing for me. It wasn't about you. It was never about you. The church wasn't created to revolve around you, no more than it's created to revolve around me. If you came to this church and didn't hear about Christ, you have a just complaint. But if you heard Christ in Sunday school and you heard Christ from the pulpit, count yourself blessed that Christ was preached. Now, in 2023, the theme is the superlative Christ. I encourage you to see that, experience that, and apply that to your life. And I ask that the church never lose its love, its zeal, and its delight in the person and the work of Christ. If you don't have love and zeal and delight in Christ, then repent. You you ought to because He is worthy. And I'll say this, when Christ is not the primary When Christ is not the primary, something or someone will take his place every time. And let me offer, you will have to fight for that. You will have to fight to keep Christ as the priority. And when he's not, you're the loser, not him. Christ is sufficient in and of himself. Whenever he's not cherished, loved, and honored as he deserves, you lose, your soul suffers, your marriage hurts, your situations are bothered, you become weak. Christ doesn't. That's why I keep urging and pressing you because I know you rob yourself when you make frivolous worldly things more important than Jesus. Number two, the praise of good works There are a lot of these, and it's certainly not an exhaustive list. It could go on, but I do want to at least comment on these. He says in these church to these churches, I know your works, I know your works, I know your works, I know your works, I know your works. And and he says some good things because they are good. And I want to take a little moment to say the same. I want to say to you, there has been a healthy amount of evangelism. You may not be aware of that, but there are churches that exist, or at least call themselves churches, that do absolutely nothing evangelistically. They don't preach in parades. They don't preach at the stockyards. They don't pass out tracts. They don't make up gift bags. They don't give out turkey baskets. They don't, they don't do any of that. Could we do more? We can always do more. But there's been a lot of evangelism. There's been a lot. There's been, it's not an exaggeration. There's been thousands of gospel tracts that have left this church to go into other countries, to go into our own community, and to surrounding areas. Praise the Lord. May it continue forevermore. I think there's been a general support of missions. People have gone on mission trips. You've supported your pastor to go on mission trips. There's been an invested interest in Mexico and Honduras and El Salvador. I grew up my whole life in church and never knew one missionary, not one. I could name 20 right now without thinking that we're working with as a church. Little old Briar working with 20 different pastors scattered across South America. I think that's good. And if you could see all the comments I see on Zoom, and you see all the text messages I see from those pastors, you'd know it's good. They are thankful for you, and they've never even met you. They're thankful. There's a purpose. I see this all the time, but there's a purpose to serve those who go through funerals. Anybody in this church has had somebody die? You're thankful because your church fed you well, they loved you well, they hugged you well, and they showed that they cared. I'm going to have somebody die in my family. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to receive it from you. We do that for each other. And, and then people have babies. you got, you got a baby over there, right? Anybody, anybody in this church do anything for you? 
I mean, what a deal. I love, well, it's a good work. People have babies and the church rejoices. They bring food, they pray, they rejoice, they say, congratulations. Those are good things. And I think there's a genuine willingness to serve anything. Sheetrock breaks, plumbing breaks, grass needs mowed, signs need put up, carpet needs vacuumed, trash needs taken out. There's a general consensus of our church to step up and serve when something is needed. Praise the Lord, right? A generous heart of giving this year. You may not, well, you probably don't know this. We ended the year $9,000 over budget. Do you know how many churches didn't make budget? We're $9,000 over for 2022. I don't know how and I don't know where, but I'm thankful. On top of that, we took up a Christmas offering for Penetrando La Obscuridad, uh, Penetrating the Darkness. $3,646 was taken up to help this ministry in Tuxla, Mexico. Praise the Lord. This is good. There's been a healthy support in this church for Easter week. So many people do so many things during Easter week. It's a glorious time for the church. It's so much good and fruit has come from it. So many things happened during that week, before that week, and after that week. Praise the Lord. There is an ongoing effort to memorize Scripture, and there's much conversation of many families in this church who read the Bible together and pray together at home, in their living room. I never had that in my whole life. But that goes on around here. Maybe not everybody, but a lot of people do. Praise the Lord. There is a time of singing in this church. We're not talented. We're not professional. We're not even good at it in the sense of judging performances. But I sit on this front row and I hear the congregation singing. In some churches, nobody sings. They have people on a platform and you clap for their performance. But here, we sing, I want to believe because we love the Lord. There's a unifying and strong reading of the Bible together. I love this, probably one of the greatest things I love in the church is you read one verse and then the congregation responds. We're all the way up into Samuel already. And hearing everybody read out loud is such a breath of fresh air. Thank the Lord for it. When I visited, the four churches I visited on my break has one thing that was drastically missing. Nobody read the Bible in the sense that there was a design time of reading Scripture. And I thought to myself, if we don't publicly read the Scriptures here, where do you do it at? And so it's like, if we don't have it here, it doesn't exist. So be thankful that you can come here. At least you know we're going to start off right. It may, it may crash and burn before we're done, but we're going to at least start by reading the Bible. That's good for our souls. I think these are all good things, and I think they ought to continue until Jesus comes. By the way, the Lord is aware of what you do, and He's aware of why you do it. He knows your heart's motive. He knows your mind's attention. And I know it's nice to receive a pat on the back. I know it's nice to receive an encouraging word. But whether you do or you don't, know this. Everything's being recorded. And Christ will reward accordingly and perfectly. Number three, the priority of repentance. All of the praises didn't apply to every single individual, nor do all of the priorities of repentance apply to every individual, but they apply somewhere. He says in these seven churches, I have this against you, I have this against you, I have this against you. There are a large number of people in this church, so I'm not doing from Revelation what he lists there. I'm just listing like I did with the praises for good works. There's a large number of people, now I'm saying this as serious as I know how to say it, I can't lift my voice and really thunder it out, but this is a problem. And so at least hear it. Now, whatever you do with it, I, I don't know. There's a large number of people here who refuse to honor communion once a month. It's a grievous thing. It's like missing your own mother's funeral. I mean, it's what it is. You go to a funeral to respect specs for the dead. We have communion because Christ died. 
And we come to pay our respects who bled and his body was broken to redeem us. But we don't take it seriously because football is more important or mowing your yard is more important. That's sinful. It's selfish. And it's dishonoring to Christ. One hour a month. You you say, well, that's not me. Praise God. That is me. Then repent. Repent and say, you know what? Christ is more important than whatever the other thing is. There remains a large number of people who will not support Sunday night worship. They won't support Wednesday night prayer. They won't support Sunday school, evangelism, missions. There are some that only make the hour service, but for all the rest of the life of the church, it's non-existent for you. It's, it's you. You need to repent of that. And you say, you know what? Christ and the church are more important than all these other things that I find myself doing. Number three, there's only four of these, but number three, there's an ongoing issue of apathy in the church. It's very noticeable in the lack of response to the preaching of the Word of God. I think many times we have the epidemic of Ephesians and Ephesus because I don't know of a more doctrinally sound church in Azel. I don't know of one more sound in Ephesus than the church at Ephesus. But with all of their doctrine, all their reformed theology, all of their dotting I's and crossing T's, Somewhere, they lost love for Christ and His church. They can quote all the great people you're supposed to quote, but there just ain't a whole lot of love left in their heart. And I pray that if that's you, that if you're just kind of apathetic and going through the motions, would you repent and come out of your slumber and stop playing games with God? Would you just give Him your whole heart? You want me to be like a high school coach? 100% ain't enough. Give 110%. You want to be witty like me? Give 110.3762%. Whatever. Give your whole heart to Christ. Give Him all of it. I'm all in. Come hell or high water, I'm going out with Jesus. And I love Him. I love Him more than school. I love Him more than money. I love Him more than my hobbies. I love Him more than my car. I love Him more than my bicycle. I love Him more than anything this world has to offer. He is my treasure. Sick of apathy in my own life and in yours. He's worthy. You're going to be apathetic to the King? Number four, discipline is needed in the lives of many in the church. It never ends. Discipline is almost impossible to accomplish this day and age. Go one-on-one. Go with two or more to the brother. Bring them before the church. Here's the, the, the nation and culture we live in is what? Nobody's responding to a text message. I sent out texts this morning for people under discipline. You think they're going to text me back? Not a chance. I call people. You think they're answering the phone? They're not answering the phone. Uh, you say, why are you telling me this? I don't want it to be you. I don't want it to be you. You think they're going to come to communion next week? No. They just walk off and they won't have anything to do with the church. We give, we serve, we teach, we give, we serve, we teach. They just walk out the door. I can't even carry out church discipline because I can't even get you to have a conversation. It breaks my heart to see people self-destruct and just walk away. Just at least, dear friend, here this morning, you want to apostatize and you want to become worldly and you want to go off to hell, at least come in my office and at least listen to me plead with you before you walk out the door. At least give me that dignity and respect that I can at least say, well, they said they liked the world more than they liked the church. But I always left. What happened to so-and-so? I don't know. Sad. Repentance would solve a lot of issues. Repentance is a central issue to the church, to Christianity. There should be more people on their knees during our response time to sermons. There should be more serious devotion and keeping, as the Puritans would say, keep short accounts with God. And I tell you, there should be more people in this church repenting and saying, Pastor, I need to be baptized. Repentance is a central theme in the New Testament. 
and it needs to be so in our church life. Number four, the purpose of a warning. He gives warnings throughout all these churches. And this is the section where I'll state the verse, and I'll read just a short clip of it, and that way you'll know where we're at. The purpose of a warning is the explanation of impending actions. So the warning's given. It's not like the Walmart parents. right? You know Walmart parents. You do that again, and I'm going to do this, and they never do it. right? You do that again, you're not getting candy, and they still buy them candy. Not that. These warnings tell us an action's coming, and, and it's going to come. It's not going to be changed, all right? So I can give you, I want to give you the ones in the Scripture because if I just said them without the Scripture reference, some of them you wouldn't believe. Chapter 2, verse 5, the church could die. You don't respond to God. This church doesn't have to continue. I just glanced over here at Robbie and seen Emily, and I just can't help but think of First Baptist Port Arthur, which is now a Buddhist temple. Right? It's a Buddhist temple. First Baptist Port Arthur. It, it died, it, and now it's a Buddhist temple. It, this church, it's been here for 100 years. It don't mean it's going to be here 150. A warning comes if we don't respond when God speaks He doesn't have to continue to work with us. Chapter 2, verse 16, this is terrible. The Lord Jesus will fight against you. I've been in a lot of battles in my life, but fighting with Jesus is really dumb. He never loses. Chapter 2, verse 22 and 23a, this one's hard to take. I'll throw you into a sickbed. I'll throw you into great tribulation, and I'll strike your children dead. Okay, that's serious. Chapter 3, verse 3, he'll come like a thief against you. Chapter 3, verse 16, the Lord will spit you out of his mouth. Now, I can just say absolutely that these are the impending actions that he gave to these seven churches, to some of these churches. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. What action will the Lord bring against us? I don't know. But I know that when you're under biblically exposited sermons, truth sermons that bring out the sense and the meaning of the text, and we don't deal rightly with what God says to us, and we don't apply it when he tells us something, I just believe there's impending actions and consequences that come with that. And he can dish those out however he so chooses. But make no mistake about it, church. Where much truth is, much is required. And so when the word is thundered and poured out every week and you do nothing with it, it's not like God doesn't know. Now, there's ex- let me expose some dangerous teachings and misguided cultural shifts in this section and, and make these very brief. But let me help you. I want to expose dangerous teaching and misguided cultural shifts where you understand at least something about what we do here. You must continue to hate the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Chapter 2 and verse, uh, whatever it was, verse 6. Hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now listen, stand against religious nonsense. There's a world full of it. You don't have to look far to find religious nonsense. Teachings seem to come and follow, come and go, ebb and flow. Don't buy into the next YouTube sensation. Don't buy into the next latest, greatest book. Don't just jump in with both feet for the next celebrity preacher that comes across the internet with his new idea. I can list so many things that we would be here all day. I lived through the Left Behind series. Tim LaHaye ain't got it. I I lived through Henry Blackaby and experiencing God. My answers are not there. You can't even find a copy of the book anymore. I lived through 40 days of purpose, and I couldn't wait to get to day 41 to get past the junk. I, I, I understand the biblicalness of family integrated, but where has she gone? I understand all these movements through time. I've had them crammed down my throat like I don't even know how to pastor a church because I didn't jump on the bandwagon. I'm just saying, 
stand strong in what is simple and true and will meet the test of time because all these things will keep flowing through. Stand to what is right. Number two, beware of slander by those who claim to be Jews but are of the synagogue of Satan. Chapter 2, verse 9. False confessions are rampant. Be wary. Use discernment. Listen to those who have been tested and proved by long-term commitment to a local church. People say all manner of things. Look, I would say I have more respect for people in this room than I do for religious people out there telling me certain things. I mean, I can go to church with Wade for 20 years. I'm going to listen to him before I'm listening to a guy on YouTube. I go to church with Johnny Eversoll for 20-something years. I'm going to listen to him long before I'm going to listen to some guy out there. Why? Because we've lived life together. Right? I mean, we've got invested interest here. That's the way it works around this room. We, we've lived together. We've died together. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We've played golf together, and that's ugly. We've done all of that. I mean, value your local church. You, you know how many people have left the church because they're following a YouTube sensation? Do you know how many people went off and lost their rockers over a Mark Driscoll? How'd that work out? How's it going to work out for Doug Wilson up there in Moscow, Idaho? You watch. Mark my words. Watch and see where it ends. Yeah, send that to my friends. Number three, beware of those who hold to false teaching. What is true? What is false? All I can tell you is, if it's new, beware. That's chapter 2, verse 14, by the way. Let, I, mean, I, I say it again. Simplicity, accountability, and longevity to historical truth has far more value than creativity, individuality, and firework theology. Makes a bright show, and three seconds later, it's gone. Look, our church isn't complicated. You shouldn't be wore out with busyness here. We don't have busyness. Look, I've been in church that are driven by programs and everybody's dead tired from working all week. Then they come to church and they get more wore out at church. You ought to come to church and find a place of refuge. You ought to come to Sunday school and just be able to study your Bible and come to worship and sing biblical songs and hear a biblical sermon and be with your family and go home and take a nap. Don't make it complicated. I don't have a drama. I don't have professional singers. I'm not going to get Matthew West or the Gettys to come in and sing next week. We don't have the money. Jeff's going to sing the best he can. Emily's going to play the best she can. And we're going to sing the best we can. And we're going to do so because we love Jesus. Do not tolerate Jezebel. Chapter 2, verse 20. I know I slipped these phrases in here and there and there and here. I do it on purpose. Now, you don't have to guess. I do it on purpose. We're not going to have a woman preach here. Ever. I mean, unless it's over my dead body and some of yours. It's not biblical. It's not right. It's not happening. You say, are you really going to take up an issue about that? Yes. And I'm going to stand and fight for it as long as I can. If not, you say, well, what happens if you just let it go? You'll be ordaining gay bishops to be your pastor. I'm not going to do it. You say, well, you're narrow-minded. Okay, your point. Well, you need to be more tolerant. I'm not going to be. Well, you're a male chauvinist. I don't think you understand what you're saying. Ask my wife if I'm a male chauvinist. Secondly, under do not tolerate Jezebel, it's not going to go away, guys. Sexual immorality is being crammed down your throat every day. Lesbianism is at an all-time high. It's an abomination before the thrice holy God of heaven. Well, you can't look, dude. Read your Bible. It's an abomination. Well, that's their culture. God never changed. It was an abomination in Leviticus. It's an abomination in Corinthians. It's an abomination in Romans chapter 1. A man shall not lie with a man, and a woman shall not lie with a woman. These things are unheard of. And if it happens, I'll judge it like I did Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, man, that, that's going to get you in trouble. There ain't no way around it. This is the world we live in. If our church doesn't stand against sexual immorality, then it becomes normal within the church. You watch, and this is what happens. Any Christian that stands against homosexuality gets labeled as hateful, mean, and bigoted for saying what God said. 
transgender. You believe we're in a world where we're having discussions about whether it's right or not to let little Johnny become little Susie and little Susie to become little Johnny and that parents don't even have to be consulted where they can have a sex change for their children and then i got to use a certain pronoun to talk to him or her or her or him. That's where we're at. I'm not telling you what you don't know. I'm telling you you're in a church that has a pastor who's not going to give. I'm not unloving. I say the same thing to the homosexual as I will to the alcoholic, as I will to the adulterous person. Repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved before you end up in hell. We're in a world now. you got homosexual Christian churches. What do you have? Alcoholic churches? Prideful churches? Well, I mean, do you have killing churches? Do you have, do you have Sabbath-breaking churches? Oh, never mind. Never mind. Might have some of those. Fleshly idolatry. By the, by the way, I say all of that. I, I could go on forever. But another thing, let me throw this in here. Not that it's light in importance, but I, I need to say it because it's a problem for some of us. But this sexual immorality is not to be tolerated. And guys, if you're looking at pornography on your phone, you need to quit it. You need to quit it right now. If you're looking at pornography on your computer, your phone, you need to turn this off. You need to cut the root, and you need to repent, and you need to ask God for mercy. You need to love your wife like she ought to be loved. You need to value her, esteem her, and set her as precious above everything else. You're not married. You keep yourself pure, and you look unto Christ until he gives you a wife, until he gives you a husband. You stay pure and true to the things of God. Fleshly idolatry, woke ideology, just about passing. It comes, it ebbs and flows, but ain't got time for all that. Political correctness, ain't got time for none of it. The church must be resolved to hold fast to what God's Word says. What does the book say? That's the issue. This is what Scripture says. That's my position. That that's, has to be the position. Number five, Exposing dangerous teachings and misguided cultural shifts. Apathy resulting in incomplete works. Chapter 3, verse 2. You see that there in chapter 3, 2. Wake up, strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete. So I'm mentioning apathy again. The great plague of the modern church. No resolve. Back in the day, you say to people, treat, your ha- treat the church the way you treat your house. Come to church on time like you come to work Come to work on time. Those type of things. I don't think people have a resolve about anything. They don't even show up for hobbies on time. Yeah, hey, you want to go fishing. You know, the guy goes fishing. He don't even show up on time to go fishing. We're just an unresolved, uncommitted, apathetic bunch of losers in a, in a general sense in the world. Christians should stand out, resolved, committed, and passionately in love with Christ. People have no invested interest in theology, preaching, missions, evangelism, etc. It's like people could come to church and no matter what happens, people could just go through it and go home and it wouldn't matter what was said. It's because we're apathetic. It's like, look, if somebody comes in here and they preach or teach something that's not false, somebody ought to confront it. It ought to bother you. Somebody comes in here and sings some kind of fruity song from Bethel. Somebody needs to run them out on a rail. You do know who Bethel is, right? If you don't, good. All right. Let me say this. Many of churches died because men did nothing. Chapter 3, verse 9. Hypocrisy and deception will be exposed. Time has a way of revealing things. Don't jump on board with folks too fast. Allow time to have its say. Remember the past and how people pushed new ideas but never stayed the course to see anything true. Find a church that seems to be holding to the truth over the long haul and just submit your life to that place. Last, number seven, uh, lukewarm Christianity is dangerous. You find that in chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Half-hearted worship, half-hearted service, Half-hearted devotion to the Lord and His church. Half-hearted, half-hearted, half-hearted. Look, I know we're not all the same. I know we don't all tick the same. I get it. But be honest. Many of you, I mean, I know last night's New Year's Eve, so it's a softball. You stay up till midnight 
for whatever, I don't know why you stay up to midnight to do whatever you did. You know, what, I mean, then you come to church, what? You can't wait for me to be done because you're tired and you're sleepy. You're gripey because you stayed up so late. You sure as heck didn't show up at 8 o'clock to pray this morning. I was here. You weren't there. I don't know where you were. You were still sleeping. And so you missed out on some of the sweetest. Where's Travis? Travis, was that not sweet this morning? We cried together. You didn't get any of that because you were sleeping or whatever you was doing. But I just, and then we come, can't make it to Sunday school because we're wore out because we stayed up too late. We ran all these errands. We did all this stuff. And we just graced God with our presence for worship. It's like, well, at least we made that. It's like, do you know a guy by the name of Amaziah? This is what it says. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But there's more. Yet not with a whole heart. Give God a part of your heart. Give Him a blemished calf. Give Him the leftovers. Lukewarm Christianity. I, I see, you say, why are you picking on me? I'm not picking on you. It's dangerous for your soul. I'm just telling you as your pastor, it's dangerous for you. Because when the Lord is not full-heartedly worshipped, there's consequences for your own soul, for your own life, for your own family. And I'm just trying to be honest enough to tell you, stop. Stop. Put Christ first. Put the church first. Not out of duty, not out of legalism, but simply because you're head over heels in love with Christ. Okay. I know what time it is. If you want to go home, you can go home. I'm going to finish this sermon. I assure you I'm in more pain than you are. So you do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to belabor this to next week, but I'm going to finish. The privilege of hearing revealed truth is an act of God's grace. Be reminded this morning, God does not have to speak to you. He doesn't. He does not have to grant you biblical leadership. You know, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of churches with unconverted pastors, homosexual pastors, transgender pastors, pagan popes that lead their whatever, all over the world. God doesn't have to give you biblical leadership. He doesn't have to, God doesn't even have to be patient with you. God can say, you know what? I put up with you for this long, I'm done. I've been gracious, I've been long-suffering, I've been kind, but you know what? You're on your own. God didn't have to be patient. He's not required to. It is who He is, but there does come a day. He, he, he doesn't have to give you illumination. You, you, you take this book for granted, He didn't have to show you the truth of anything. You can read it till you die and go to hell. He don't have to illuminate anything. He, Thomas Watson said, the sundial is set. But if the sun doesn't shine on it, you won't know what time it is. This book is set, but if the Spirit of God doesn't illumine it, you don't know what it means. Don't take these things for granted. Received truth is evidence of genuine Christianity. Applying the truth of what is preached in daily living. You want an example? Apply the truth. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. Right? He, he, he's the full embodiment of God. He's superior to the angels. The name He's inherited is more excellent than theirs. How do I apply that? How do I apply that? Pastor, you said I'm supposed to apply that truth. I can tell you this. Christ is more important to me than whatever's going on in the TV. Christ is more important to me than what is going on in the White House. Christ is more important to me than what is going on on CNN. Christ is more important to me than my own hobbies. Christ is more important to me. Why? Because He's the radiance of the glorious God. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He demands and is worth everything of my heart. And so every decision this week, all of my life, even you want to badger it back to myself, if you will. He's like, what are you going to do today? 
you, you can't do this, you can't do that. You're hurting, you're hurting, you're hurting. Christ is worthy to be preached no matter what my body feels. That's why the verse applies. He is more valuable than gold. He's sweeter than honey. Is he? Repenting when the truth reveals sin in your life. It's evidence that you're a genuine Christian. Granting forgiveness when someone does you wrong. Having God and His church be actively preeminent in your life. Having a bent towards godliness while you live in a world of wickedness. And lastly, number six on the main headings, the promise of reward. The promise of reward. And these come from the text. Let me list those for you. Endurance to the end has its benefits. Chapter 2, verse 7. Those who conquer are granted eternal access to the tree of life. Chapter 2, verse 11. Those who conquer are not affected by the second death. Chapter 2, verse 17. Those who conquer will receive hidden manna, a white stone with a new name written on it. Chapter 2, verse 26, those who conquer will keep Jesus' works until the end will be given authority over the nations. Chapter 3, verse 5, those who conquer will be clothed in white garments, will never be blotted out of the book of life, and Jesus will confess their names before his Father in heaven. Chapter 3, verse 12, those who conquer will be pillars in the house of God, everlasting, everlasting residing in heaven have God's name written on them and the name of the city of God written on them and Jesus' own new name. Chapter 3, verse 21, those who conquer will sit, you've got to be kidding me, will sit with Jesus on his throne. It's the rewards. So I say, examine your heart. Matthew, no, not Matthew, Mark 13, 13. You'll be hated for all. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But what? The one who endures to the end will be saved. I'll give you a real short verse. Luke 17, 32. Remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. Press forward. And then, of course, classic passage, Philippians 3, 14. And the Apostle Paul says it this way. Not that I have already obtained... I'm not. I haven't attained. And it's not that I'm already perfect, because I surely am not. And neither are you. We're in this deal together. You haven't attained, and you're not perfect. I haven't attained, and I'm not perfect. Then what are we going to do? Paul says, but I press on. Why? I want to make it my own. Why do you want to make it your own, Paul? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because of his purchase of me, I'm going to press on to obtain this perfection in Christ. He goes on. I press on in verse 14. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The conclusion is very short. Church work is never done. I don't kid myself. I don't think giving a state of the church address is going to make us a perfect church next week. I think we're going to deal with some of the same problems this upcoming year. But I think it's right for us to be reminded of this. Church work's never done. The goal is always biblical health. Now, I didn't fall in love with missions until I learned that missions was about building healthy churches. Giving somebody water and bread is one thing. That's fine. But if they don't have a healthy church, I don't know how we helped them. There's always the need. There's always going to be the need for church discipline. Repentance. Reminders of the direction the church should be going. It's always going to be the case. Who knows what's before us this year? (laughs) But we certainly know who is providentially directing our future. That much I know. With great zeal, let us press on in the things that we know are right. There's some things I don't know. Some things you don't know from the Bible, for life in general. But we know plenty. We know plenty right? Are we still here? It's right to sing. I give you a lot of verses. It's right to pray. You ought to read your Bible through this year. It don't make you a Christian or keep you from being a Christian, but it's right to read your Bible. You ought to try to memorize scripture. It's just right. 
It's right to have the Word of God preached. It's right to listen to the Word of God preached. It's right to tell people about Jesus. It's right to go to Mexico and help churches be healthy. Do what's right. Let's press on for what we know is right. We must keep teaching the Bible and Sunday school. And by the way, just a side note, do you know how many thousands of dollars this church has saved because we started teaching out of this book? And some of you don't know this, but you buy Lifeway for 50 years and you'll understand how much money we've saved to just read out of this book that we already have and don't have to buy. It's amazing. Thank you for the teachers who are willing to teach the Bible. All right. Preaching verse by verse from the pulpit. Daily and event evangelism, purposeful missions, memorization of Scripture, serving one another, expectantly waiting on the coming of the day of God. Look, I know I've labored long. Everybody matters. God called me to preach. God gave people the gift of singing. Nobody cooks like Miss Sharon, right? She's not here. We can talk about her. Look, every part matters. People take out trash. People vacuum. People fix the heater. People fix the sound thing. People fix doors. People fix windows. People clean up leaves. People blow off the doorway in front of the church. People take out stuff. They do stuff. People put flowers in the flower pot out front before Easter week. People fix up hedges and trim them. Everything matters. Every bit of it. Some things are more noticed than others. Mine mine gets noticed because I'm standing in front of you. A lot of you do stuff and nobody knows you did it. God knows. But we are doing what we do, I hope, because we... We're in love with Christ. And we just want to serve our church. We want our church to be healthy. Sometimes I want our church to be full. And sometimes I'm glad it's not. I'm pretty happy with just you guys. It's not that we're not evangelistic or mission-minded. But you know what? 50 more people in here gives me 50 more headaches maybe. I don't know. But I'm just glad we have what we have. I know I've gone too long. But again, as I started, I end. I don't know that I've improved much over the 20-something years. It's not about me necessarily, but the best I know how, me and my wife have been married 34 years, and we're doing what we know to do in order to lead this church to love Christ. And that's all I care, is that you love Christ. Brother Jeff, you close us in song, and I have a closing verse after you're done.